Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hello! Welcome to a special Monday night edition of Real Hawk Talk. I am one of your hosts, Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at, at HawkBlogger. Follow us on Facebook at HawkBlogger. Um, even Instagram, although I'm not very active there, I have to admit. Um, and we will have our full crew tonight. We're going to be uh, joined by Nathan Ernst a little bit later, and Jeff, real Jeff Simmons, will join in just a few minutes. Uh, but we have Evan. Um, it's all we could manage at the beginning of the show. I hope people will stick with us. Bottom uh, of the barrel. <laughs> seriously, I don't think that we could uh, pick a better guy to start with than Evan Hill. After um, knowing what we're going to be talking about tonight, man, it's a big yeah. day for, for the Seahawks franchise. I, I think you could go as far as to say that this is a crossroads moment for this franchise for the next decade, possibly. I, I think it's even, I would take it a step further and say it's even bigger than that. I was talking with uh, William Cornell, Hawk Blogger contributor, Rain City Series founder, for those of you who don't know him. Uh, we, we were talking today, and I think there's an argument to be made that he is the most valuable player in the history of Seattle sports. And I'm not saying it's for certain, but I, I think in terms of um, just the position he plays, obviously his uh, talent caliber, um, j you know, j just the, the NFL as a whole, he is such an important asset for Seattle sports historically. And I, I think it's, uh, I really hope this is something where they're able to work something out and retain him for the long term, just because um, take, take out the whole talent side of things. Russell Wilson is a dearly loved um, player and person in Seattle. He's a role model to so many kids, so many families, so many people, so many adults. Um, I really, really hope they can find a way to retain him. Yeah. It's uh, going to cover the different angles, and as people are uh, come to expect from our show, there's probably going to be a wide variety of opinions on this topic and what to do about it. And so uh, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on Twitter. Maybe news will break as we're covering tonight. I think we'll go for a little while here. But, you know, look, 
I, I kind of see this the, the way that the, the team has set this up. And let me kind of reset the, the the overall topic for people that are just casually following along. Um, the Seahawks have been given an ultimatum reportedly. Uh, this was reported, I think, initially by Bob Condotta of the Seattle Times that Russell Wilson and his camp, his agent, Mark Rogers, wanted to have a deal in place by no later than tonight than today, um, end of the day today, it assumes the deadline. And if they didn't make that deadline, then they did not want to negotiate for the rest of the season was the initial report that this, this was essentially just didn't want to get distracted. Just wanted to get this over with. Well, as recently as, you know, today, the reports have been growing that the deadline is not just about whether or not they will negotiate for the rest of this season. But the report is that this is a deadline of either you, sign Russ to an extension or Russ won't sign an extension. That's kind of the, the story as it's being told right now, meaning that if there's truth to this, which I don't think any of us can say for certain, there's always a lot of misdirections in, the, in these situations, then you've got today where you may find out that Russell Wilson is, his time is, is, ticking in Seattle and that if that's the case, we're going to get in and talk about that. Um, we'll talk about both sides. If they sign, what do we think that means? What's the implications? If they don't sign them, um, what are the implications of that? So uh, the other piece that's come out um, recently, we've talked about it on this show before, but has gained a little bit more steam lately is trade talks around Frank Clark. And, you know, there's some implication that these might be related. They might be totally independent. Who's to say? But, you know, one of the key things that we've talked about on this show is how challenging it is for the Seahawks. It's, it's an odd problem to have and a good one, I guess. But to have so many players that are at the top of their you know, respective positions and how to actually manage your roster that way. So when you've got a Bobby Wagner and you've got a Frank Clark and you've got uh, Russell Wilson plus more, but you got those three, you got three guys that are pretty much going to expect to be paid either at the top or near the top. So um, Evan, what's, you know, what's your, what's your initial read on the validity of the reports around the ultimatum that that the the Russell Wilson camp has, has put in place. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually on the minority side when it comes to this arbitrary deadline. A lot of media members have pointed out saying like, "Hey, what if Russell Wilson wakes up tomorrow morning? They don't get a deal done tonight, and John Schneider comes tomorrow morning, you know, out to the practice field and offers Russell forty million a year. Let's just say some sky high number." 100% guaranteed over five years, $200 million baseball style deal. Are you telling me that Russell and Mark Rogers are going to uh, reject that deal tomorrow? The answer is, it's sort of a, it's sort of a halfway answer. The reality is, is I think that deadline is absolutely accurate because the deadline 
is only as strong as as how to how strongly they hold to it. There's no mounting pressure. There's no reason for John Schneider to be away from his kids and his family till midnight tonight if they don't believe that this deadline is real. I I, I think Russell is one of those people, and and there's a lot of fans on Twitter that brought this up. Where go back to his college days, where if he's not given something he wants, he's not able to take something. He's not being given permission to do something. He's going to go and find that opportunity somewhere else. And I don't think that's an unrealistic, unrealistic uh, reality or, you know, potential uh, with the Seahawks and going to a different team. I think this deadline is very real and, you know, the clock is ticking. We'll see what happens. Reports are that John Schneider's still in the building. And, and uh, actually one quick note on the John Schneider in the building thing that I feel like we've kind of glossed over is obviously Actually, maybe this isn't obviously, but I don't know if a lot of fans know this, but Matt Thomas is actually the cap guy for the Seahawks. He's the guy who um, negotiates all the contracts with agents, uh, does a lot of their salary cap uh, outlook projections. The team is always uh, projecting like three years out. Four years is a little rough, but they have like a full board of what what their contracts and salary cap uh, outlooks look like for the next three years. And typically these are mostly exclusively – these responsibilities responsibilities are exclusively um, tasked to Matt Thomas to do like 99% of the grunt work here. I think one little snippet, and maybe I'm a little bit, maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into this, but for John Schneider to be in the building, I think multiple days in a row with Matt Thomas, I think it goes to show that that um, precedent that Russell wants to establish with a cap percentage or a base salary relative to the, to the cap or percentage of it, I think could be very real because Matt Thomas would be what, what would happen in negotiations is that topic would be brought up by Mark Rogers, Russell, Russell Wilson's agent. And, and Matt Thomas would be like, Hey, this is a team precedent. This is an NFL wide precedent that, you know, has never been established before. If we're even going to get into this territory, you know, I got to have the next pay grade up in the room. This is not uh, my pay grade type decision. So, um, it's, it's going to get interesting. What are we, four, three and a half hours away from it? So should be good. Well, you touched on something there that I don't know that everyone has followed along closely with. So so talk a little bit more about some of the specific demands that, that are rumored to be coming out of the Russell Wilson camp. Besides this deadline, you touched on one, which was a percentage of the salary cap. Talk yeah. about that, why that's a big deal, and, and um, there might be some others that have come up. Yeah, so for the people who are less cap inclined, basically the way these big quarterback contracts have worked and other big, just even defensive players is a, let's take Russell Wilson's contract, for example. He signed it in, um, what was it, late 2015, I think it was. Um, he signed for $21.8 million a year. Uh, at time, at that time, it was the, he became the second highest paid quarterback based on new money average per year, um, just behind Aaron Rodgers, who was 21 22.1, I think at the time, there's like a 0.3, 300K difference. Fast forward to today, Russell Wilson is like, I might be slightly off. It's either like 11, 12, or 13 in terms of highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. So my point being is that as the years go on, as more young quarterbacks are drafted and as more young quarterbacks are paid um, by their team, by their drafted team, these quarterback salaries begin to lag behind, especially with this cap growth. We're seeing, what, 10, 12, 13, 14, $15 million a year in annual increases in the cap. So what Russell Wilson's camp is project, or what Russell Wilson's camp is 
um, requesting is that Russell Wilson's base salaries be tied to a relative percentage of the cap. So of the overall cap. So say, you know, the overall cap is 200 million just for an even number. Russell could want, let's say 20% of the team's cap, you know, 2019 year, $200 million cap, that would be a $40 million base salary. Now it wouldn't be, you know, that finally cut down, but for, you know, um, hypothetical purposes, think of it that way. He wants, as the cap to grow, he wants his base salaries to go to grow. He wants his income to grow. And to be quite honest with you, this is kind of my hot take. I don't think it's that unrealistic for Russell Wilson's caliber. Now, if we're talking Jameis Winston is is asking for this deal, you know, no, not going to happen. But this is Russell Wilson we're talking about, surefire Hall of Famer, top five quarterback in the NFL, franchise's greatest asset in history. I, 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 I mean, it depends on the percentage. I've seen everything from 15 to 20% thrown out there. I think Russell Wilson's currently at, at like 12.1% of the Seahawks cap. So um, for 2019. So, you know, if it's something like 15 or 16%, um, I'd have to do the math, but I, I think it'd be more reasonable than, than the high teens, like in 18, 19, 20. So yeah, should be. Well, let's, let's welcome in uh, Jeff Simmons to the show. Jeff, how you doing? I'm all right. Is the deadline 12 Pacific time or 12 Eastern time? Uh, well, dude, no one no one cares about the East Coast or Toronto. Uh, show, man. Uh, we're here. It's it's definitely got to be West Coast related. They're all out here. So I got to stay up till 3 a.m.? <laughs> hey, and, I mean, what else do you have to do? Like, sleep's not going to help you out any. No time for sleep. Um. And I'm hoping I'm going to ask if people can hear uh, Jeff this time. Uh, last time we could hear you on the show just fine, but on the pod it was super quiet. So, um, I it's weird. I got this. I got a good go mic. Microphone. Well, that was that was bad. Whatever happened there. Um, so, uh, Evan. You talked for a second. We were talking, Jeff, about the percentage of cap request that's coming in. And Evan, you started to talk about he's 12% of the cap now. That's Russell Wilson. Um, and then you went in and said 15 to 16 might be reasonable. If it's up to, I think, 18, you started saying that might not be. How are you kind yeah. of coming to those numbers? Yeah, so let me actually clarify my numbers. I was a whole percentage point off, so that is embarrassing. It's actually 13.4% is what he's currently at. So he has a $25.2 million cap hit right now. I believe, and I should know this, the cap limit is like 182. Is that what it is for 2019? Uh, they pushed it out a couple of weeks ago. I'm looking at it now. Um, I believe it's 188. Eight okay, yes, it's 188.2 million is the 2019 cap hit. So let's just use an example. Um, let's say so, like, like we like, let, yeah, let's take this for an example. Say, say he wants 18 percent. Let me do the quick math. Um, if I can do math, what would 18 percent be? It'd be like 30s, you know, mid 30s, 
And I don't think that's that unreasonable considering the quarterback market, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers is like 32, 33 million dollars a year. Do you know um, the do you know the range of of what percentage of cap quarterbacks are making? I think I saw this somewhere before. Mm. Maybe if you want to look that up for a second. So 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 Jeff, while while Evan's looking that up, um, do you have an issue with let's start with um, well, since we're on this topic, do you have an issue with the notion of assigning a player's value, contract value, to a percentage of the cap as the cap keeps moving around? Do you mean in the context of Russell or just in general overall? Let's talk specific to Russell, but you can talk about it. If, if you feel differently about other types of players or positions, you can talk about that too. Well, the thing I just find mind-boggling about this whole thing is just everything from the Seahawks standpoint seems to have to do with precedent, right? And their, their resistance to giving a percentage of the cap, I don't know if it's financial, I don't know, but everything just keeps coming back to precedent. I saw Andrew Brandt mention that today. He worked with John and Green Bay. And I just can't understand why precedent would apply to Russell, who's in such a unique scenario. Like, why does your franchise quarterback set precedent? I don't know if it's I don't know if that's the exact answer you're looking for, but that's the part of this I just don't understand. And maybe you guys can help me out. But this seems like a unique situation, and players would understand that really precedent won't apply to your franchise quarterback that's won a Super Bowl. I'm just stumped on that. And that seems to be the big, big sticking point. And maybe that's why they're not committing to that extra guarantee. It's a very confusing thing to me. So you're, you're, you're focusing on the, the precedent part. You didn't comment as much about the notion of how you feel about the concept in general, like of, of assigning a percentage of salary cap. Well, I'd probably be resistant to it just based on how it's unpredictable. It's not, it's not, it doesn't allow the team to, model properly you don't know what you're going to get and i'd probably be resistant to it just from a philosophical standpoint it doesn't seem a good way to build a team i'd rather have a traditional quarterback and the thing that's just so weird is all all the word kept coming from jake heaps like they didn't want to set the market they just wanted fair value you just want to slot in when all of a sudden the reports come out this week and it's now he wants percentage of the cap and he wants he wants to be part of extra revenue streams, and he sees the gambling coming in. So from a philosophical standpoint, I think I am against it, even though I can see why he wants it. I can see where Mark Rogers is coming from. I just don't think it's a good way from the Seahawks' perspective how to build a team. So, Evan, um, what did you find? On the notion of, of the cap percentage, is that what you asked? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I totally get it from a player perspective. It's what I would be doing. I, I don't understand why anybody else would be asking for anything else, especially one one factor we need to consider here is, you know, sports gambling is likely to be legalized nationally. And once that happens, billions more are going to be injected. You know, God knows in terms of how the NFL is going to structure that with live betting during games. I, I really see the cap absolutely exploding. We've seen $10, $15 million increases. We could see way bigger increases. We could see $30, $40 million increases year to year, if, if, that's, if, if that becomes a reality. Um, so from Russell Wilson's side of things, totally understand why he's doing it. From like a team projection, team side of things, you know, it's a it's a tough one. It to me, it really depends on the percentage point, and I, I that's kind of a cop out answer. But this is 
this is kind of a wide range. I saw, I think I saw Peter King suggest like 15 or 16% is what he thinks Russell Wilson's camp wants. If that's what it is, if it's truly 15 or 16%, I'm comfortable with that. But if we're talking 20%, Russell Wilson wants an additional five percentage points. That's a lot of cash that, I mean, that's a, in a $200 million cap world, that's, um, you know, an extra 10, $15 million. Like that's a lot of money. Well, so. I'm looking, I'm looking on, uh, uh, spot track, spot track, <laughs> um, right now. And they've got actually the percentage of cap for quarterback spend in the NFL. And the way it breaks down here, it's a little surprising to me. This, this includes all the players. So it's not just the starter, right? Okay. Um, so like the Seahawks only have two quarterbacks on their cap for 2019, but the New Orleans Saints have four right now, um, at the quarterback, just to give you an idea. But in any event says that, as you said, um, the Seahawks are spending, you know, 13.6% of the cap, um, uh, on the quarterback position, which ranks eighth in the NFL. Uh, number one in the NFL is the Detroit Lions, who are mm. spending 15.6% of the cap on, yeah. on quarterback. But number two is the New England Patriots at 15.53. And that's kind of interesting because we always talk about, everyone's like, why doesn't Russell take a Brady deal? And why doesn't he you know, take less money? It's a little surprising to see the Patriots up there at number two when Brady's supposedly getting like a, a lot less money than than you know he's he's in the eighteen million range or something like that. Do you have any idea like how they're how they're coming to that? Um, yeah, yeah. So it, the, the the tricky part of talking about percentage of the cap is this is one hundred percent relative to the structure of the contract. So. If a player is, you know, recently extended and has really high front-loaded money, like roster bonuses in year one, year two, a ton of upfront money, um, a very player-friendly, favorable deal, that's going to switch things up a little bit. So I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't use it as our sole metric to analyze, uh, you know, the quarterback chart type of thing, but. Um, yeah, it, 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 the, the answer is technical in terms of how the contract is structured and how the money, how the cash flow hits the player as they uh, progress through, through their contract years. The major point I'm seeing here, Jeff, is if, assuming for a second that these are true, these numbers are true, then yeah. you're talking about a Seahawks team that's currently spending 13.6% on the quarterback position, and the top of the NFL is spending 15.6%. So a 2% difference. There's eight teams between the Seah or seven teams between the Seahawks and that top spot. You know, and it, we were only talking about, you know, you're, at the end of the day, you're talking about 15.6. And the teams, let's just go through them for a second. Number one in the NFL, um, Detroit Lions, 15.6. Number two, Patriots at 15.5. Number three, the Minnesota Vikings at 15.5. Number four, the Los Angeles Chargers at 14.5. Number five, the New Orleans Saints at 14.3. Number six, the Green Bay Packers at 14.2. And number seven, the Washington Redskins uh, at 14.1. Yeah. One thing that stands out to me there, Jeff, is they're spending money on cap money on the quarterback. 
And the, the argument has been made that you, you can't, if you spend this money on your, your quarterback, you're going basically to be really limited. What's your, what's your takeaway? In terms of how the Seahawks should be building? Because really, my takeaway is that the Seahawks are in position to compete the next couple of years. And the idea that spending a lot of money on a quarterback doesn't limit you that the way people think. If you look at some of the good teams in the NFL, there's teams that spend little on quarterbacks like the Chiefs and the Rams. And then there's teams like the Saints that are in those percentage points spending a lot. The tricky thing with those numbers is the Seahawks are spending nothing on their backup, right? Is Paxton Lynch their only backup? Right. Yeah, that's it. And like Brian Hoyer, who's the Patriots backup, is probably making like $5 million a year. And that probably pushes that number up a little higher. So really, it's kind of a tricky number, but really the Seahawks, like if Russell jumps to that next level, I don't think it's going to really limit their growth because they have so much money coming off their cap. But that's, I think this, I haven't heard, you know, I haven't heard any other, you know, group talking about percentage of spend on the quarterback position as opposed to percentage of, of spend on the specific starter. I think it's a worthwhile yeah. insight here, right? That mm -hmm. that's very possibly part of the Seahawks plan. They've been looking to potentially go cheap on the, the backup quarterback position. We've yeah. seen them, you know, take rookies and undrafted free agents like Trayvon Boykin and all this kind of stuff. That might be part of their plan. And they might not be looking to have a viable, like <laughs> costly backup. And, and at the end of the day, if that means you get to have Russell Wilson on your roster and you're spending, you're not in a, um, less competitive situation than some of the other top teams. Yeah. Who really, if we're really talking about, do you want Russell Wilson in a crappy backup or roll the dice on finding another franchise quarterback and a better backup? Is there anybody that's going to answer, you know, take door number two? Like, of course not. Maybe Pete Carroll. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but I mean, <laughs> no, that was just let, let, let's let's take it for a second that, that let's let's say that they do decide to go percentage of salary cap and let's say yeah. that they do you know cave to something like 15 percent as percentage of salary cap you know the numbers here basically what that would say is you'd need to make sure that you have basically spend no money on your backup um for that position these numbers don't show that you can't do that that you can't manage it so um, that makes some sense to me. I, you know, I, I do think that the NFL already does have a percentage of cap, uh, contract. It's not like it, they've never done this before. It's just, it's part of the franchise tag. Uh, it's a positional, you know, top five players at anything. And they've got some experience with this kind of thing. So to me, it's not necessarily a key sticking point. Uh, I just have some questions about what what really does Russell want? Like, what does he ultimately want? And I do think there's some validity to the questions here about there's a lot of people asking, is Russell's number one goal to win? Is Russell's number one goal to get the most possible financial benefit that he can? And I and if you can only pick one, I I'm interested in hearing what you guys think. I don't think you can make an argument to say his absolute number one goal is to win as much as possible. 
There's just yeah. uh, that yeah. can't be the case. I have an answer for this. I it, it is absolutely not number one goal is not winning. And this is not, I want to be clear, this is not a knock on Russell at all. If I was in his situation, I'd probably be doing the same thing of trying to get as many dollars as possible. But let's say, you know, for theoretical purposes, if his number one goal was to win, he would he wouldn't be caring about his salary. He'd be asking for a 700k minimum veteran salary per year. You know, that's if that's his number one goal, then he's putting everybody else in front of him, you know, everybody else as a priority over him. And and I don't think he should do that. That's and I don't think he, though. That's a no, that's, but, but if that's his number yeah, one goal, that's, that's kind of then that's what you have to do. But but it's not and it's fine. You know, like his number one goal is to is to make money and be successful. And then right under it, number two, is win football games. I think that's that's really simplifying things. He's not. This is not a choice between uh, a, a veterans minimum deal and no, totally. And, and like he he could he could easily say, I want percentage of cap, and I want it to be thirteen percent, just like I'm making, and he'd make plenty of money, and the okay, team but would then, be more likely to win. They okay, but let's be. let's approach it through a different. Uh, uh, perspective then Russell and his camp if they if their number one priority was winning football games they wouldn't have approached this deadline this way I don't think they would have arbitrarily set a deadline like this would they have do you know what I'm saying like this is a high intensity situation where they're setting an arbitrary deadline and Russell is saying pay me this percentage of the cap by this date you have no choice. I will not. I will not negotiate with you in a year, in two years, unless it's done tonight. Is that not priority number one financial gain, like overwinning? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. Is that I, I, that I agree with? And like, Jeff, I mean, I think you know where I'm going with this, right? I mean, it, I think that there needs to be a little bit of taking the gloves off to just and acknowledge what the reality is with, you know, Russell has a very spotless image, but I think there's a, people want to talk about, Oh, Tom Brady can afford to do it because his wife makes so much money. I just don't buy that for a second. Like there's, there's generational wealth when you get to a certain point and then there's just, silly money that you know you really should just be giving away anyway there's reasons that people are that are mega rich you know a lot of them consider doing like giving away 60 70 80 percent of the fortunes that they amass because you can only spend so much and, and have such a, a rich life now i don't mean that that sounds like a judgment thing but i'm just pointing out that this is a value and integrity kind of decision here that you're saying as a player I want to maximize. I want to get mine. I want to get mine more than I want to have a chance to make sure that we are as competitive as possible. Do you think that's, do you think that's the the right read here? Or, or do you think that uh, that's, that's too simple too? Me or Evan? You, Jeff. Uh, I think that's the right read. I think another big portion of it is I think, Russell's in a really unique situation in the sense that he is represented by a baseball agent. And it does seem like kind of changing 
the NFL landscape is a goal of theirs. And if it was just simply get next in line, take the next Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers conversation, it feels like this could have been done very quickly. So not only to build on what Evan said and what Brian said, they're trying to kind of change the structure. They saw what happened with Kirk Cousins, and Mark Rodgers has been around baseball where things are negotiated very differently, and they hit free agency. I think that's as big of a goal as much as anything, whether it's winning or money. I think it's kind of resetting how players are valued, and especially in Seattle where he's had Tom Cable and the offensive line problems and the runnings this year, where he's coming at it where – People do believe that he does want to might maybe he wants to play elsewhere. And there was that New York rumor a couple months ago. And so not only is he trying to get his value, I think they're trying to restructure how players are compensated in the NFL. And you saw Russell Okung or Russell Okung today. Kind of show and this isn't the first it. time he's done this. Let's remember no. that. Remember yeah. the first negotiations where it was, I want a fully guaranteed contract. Now he didn't end up getting it. Kirk Cousins got it a couple of years later, just recently. But I think there's a pattern here of them being extremely aggressive with setting new market precedents. And that's yeah. fine, but it's just going to make for really difficult, uncomfortable, tension-filled you know, negotiations. And it's going to suck for fans every single time. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's another that's another layer to this. You know, one would be I want to get paid. I want to get paid a lot. I want to be the, the number one paid player in the league that let's just say that that's the demand. Then there's this demand of I want to not just set the market, but I want to change how contracts are getting built. I want to I want to establish a new precedent in the league for how contracts are happening. You're going to the line no patience for you none like like maybe take one or the other or you know i i think holding the team hostage for in order to be able to say that you set the market in a new way and negotiated a new contract and broke new ground i i i just find that to be I find that to be selfish. I'll be come out and say it. Like, like the only reason to do that is because you want to maximize the money you're going to get even more. And I just don't. I don't see the need for it. I don't see the need for it. If if the Seahawks were to come out and pay you thirty five million a year, and you wouldn't sign that deal because you're too concerned in three or four years that the cap was going to go up and you were going to be the eighth highest paid quarterback or the 10th highest paid quarterback. Like that's all vanity. That has nothing to do with, with actually anything that I personally value um, in, in terms of, of, of how these things go through. So I don't know. Uh, it, it's, I've heard a lot of people say um, people that are huge Russell Wilson fans, like, you know, Mike Salk, uh, Danny O'Neill, folks that have been like, defended him through thick and thin that they have a problem with the way that Russell Wilson is handling this, that asking himself to be treated differently than other players, making some of these demands, um, dictating to the team how this is going to happen, that this is, they understand why Russell Wilson's doing it, but they wish he wasn't doing it. They wish he was operating a different way. I'm curious for you guys. Um, Jeff, we'll start with you. 
how do you feel about the way that Russell's handling and his camp's handling this, this negotiation? I guess I'm not surprised. So maybe my feelings are a little different than those guys. Just coming back to what Evan just said, this is their negotiation just seems very similar to how Russell negotiated his contract the last time. And I don't know why I was just expecting kind of a contentious negotiation. I think the way the season ended and the narrative that formed around Russell, I kind of just expected it to go like this. And maybe this deadline caught me off guard, but I was expecting the worst. I was expecting them to end up in the franchise route where it got ugly and things got really contentious. And the fact that it's happening kind of this way does not surprise me in the least. If it was new and kind of out of the blue, maybe I would be a little more upset or maybe be a little, yes, selfish is a good word, but I guess just the way they've handled so many things, this is just consistent. So for me, I just, I'm not surprised at all and I don't expect anything to get done. I'm expecting a really ugly thing where they're going to go with franchise routes and maybe that gets done down the road, but I don't know when I, my expectations were set for this to happen. So I'm not at all surprised. Evan, how about you? Jeff Jeff kind of danced around it a little bit. How do you feel about the way Russell Wilson's uh, handling this this negotiation? Yeah, I think uh, I think Mark Rogers is a tough son of a bitch. I think That's, he's a yeah. really, really strong negotiator. I think he's ruthless. I think he's aggressive. I think his background benefits him. I think his personality affirms, you know, his professional goals. I, I I think we need to kind of separate some of this. Yes, Russell Wilson wants his, and Russell Wilson wants to reset markets and you know be paid the highest, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I think Mark Rogers only amplifies this and encourages this in him to an untenable level. And I just think every time, every time they engage in contract discussions, it is just going to be a high-tension, ugly, PR-filled, leaking, you know, battle up till the very last second. And to be quite honest, it's just a pain in the ass for fans every single time. I was, I was talking about this with Will today, William Cornell. Um, I, I, I firmly believe the last round of negotiations damaged his brand locally, at least temporarily. I thought a lot of people were upset with how Russell um, and his camp went about last negotiations. And honestly, I think people are starting to get upset with his camp right now again uh i don't know if that's you know the seahawks front office winning the pr battle you know leaking the right things at the right times but um i can see i don't know if you guys have seen this but i, I think the general public opinion of seahawks fans is going against russell right now um, yeah it's been interesting to watch i would say that um it's surprising to me a little bit as I've heard people like the ones I mentioned, like Mike Salk and, and folks uh, uh, come out against this approach a little bit. I didn't, I, I'm kind of, I think a little bit more like Jeff, it, it, it didn't bother me that much. Like I thought I, I was dancing around it. Yeah. I, I just, it, well, that's okay to say, you know, like oh, 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 news, news, Mike Garofalo with 3.5 hours to go until Russell Wilson's deadline to a deal with the Seahawks is silent still work to be done to get an agreement could always happen quickly, but I'm not getting the sense. The sides are finalizing a deal as I tweet going to be a late night. 
Uh, there's no way I'm sleeping Woo! now. Yeah, I, 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 so that basically no new news. Um, no, no but, sign of progress. Uh, but that was, but that was a little bit different of a tone. And maybe I'm over looking too much into this. But Ian Rappert's tweet earlier pointed out that there may be some optimism towards this deal getting done. Now we have a little bit of a change of course towards of a, a negative trend. <laughs> yeah, I think it's hard to know how much you know Mike Garofalo is is uh, reading between the lines. It seems like there's a lot of that there, but. Uh, He's, he's been very reliable with Seahawks um, insights before, so he has pretty good sources in there. I think that's a pretty good indication that, you know, there's nothing happening right now that, that seems to indicate this is certainly going to happen tonight. But, you know, uh, to me, it does not mean that a deal is not going to happen. Um, and before we continue, I want to welcome in Nathan Ernst at NathanE11 on Twitter. Welcome back, my friend. Hello, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, we are we are uh, on Russ watch and um, having some a little about how we feel about the way Russell's handled this negotiation, or reportedly, because we don't really know all the details. And I was just saying, it doesn't really bother me that Russell's team set a deadline. It, it doesn't bother me that they're basically saying. If it's true, if they're saying either sign me now and extend me now or I'm gone, I'm not going to sign an extension. If, if all those things are true, that doesn't really bother me. And maybe it's because I've just had a different perception of Russell all along. I've never felt like, you know, he was Mr. Do-Right that would just like be completely selfless and all these kinds of things. I think he's always wanted to be a great businessman and a great player. And I think he wants to be the best in everything he does. And so I, I don't really hold that against him. And I'd actually, I'm happy that we have this deadline because I want to get into this in just a little bit. If, if they don't come to an agreement, then I think maybe the Seahawks will finally be able to do something they haven't done in any of these other situations. And, wise up about what to do with a player that isn't going to sign with you. Um, but let's talk about that in a second. Um, Nathan, what's your, what's your reaction to how Russell's camp reportedly has been handling this, this situation? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm fine with it. Um, I, I think that they, I, I've kind of thought all along that um, the team holds all of the leverage Um Russell has the ultimate kind of trump card in that he can hold out. Um, but that is, you know, a, pretty much a nuclear option for him. Um, in, in, at least in the short term with his relationship with the organization and fans and all that. So, um, and I think he's already come out and said that he won't do that. Um, so, you know, in, in a lot of ways with the tag and everything, I think the team is in the driver's seat here. And so uh, it doesn't bother me at all that in what might, could possibly be Russell's last big contract. Probably not, but you know, he'll be what 34, 35 when this is, this one's done. And so, you know, there's a good chance. Looks like Nathan froze up there a little bit. So I thought it was my computer. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, that there's a, a real question here. Uh, Nathan, do we get you back? Oh yeah, did I cut out? 
you cut out there. Oh, you're saying that it could be Russell's last big contract. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I don't have a problem with him, you know, kind of throwing everything at this and and maybe leaking some stuff and and you know putting these things out about wanting to go somewhere else. And maybe that's true, but maybe it's just him trying to get the team to to kind of give in a little bit. Um, and I, don't, I certainly don't think this reflects poorly on Russell as a person. Um, Russell's still the guy that goes to Children's Hospital, and Russell's still the guy that does all the stuff that he does. I mean, um, it is a business. Um, him trying to get paid and whether you think, you know, the selfless thing would be to take a Brady contract, like it's professional sports. The thing that's bothered me about this the most, I think, is people, um, and I know everyone has like a range of opinions on Russell and I have some opinions about Russell too, but um, as a person, but like this idea that he's sudden, suddenly not the person that people thought he was—that that's weird to me. Like Russell's still a good dude. I mean, there aren't a lot of better guys in the NFL, even if he's a little fake, and even if he does post pictures when he goes to Children's Hospital, like the dude at Children's Hospital. Like, come on, like you know, I, I think that this has gotten kind of weirdly, not weirdly personal. I, I, that's probably to be expected, but I, I don't really knock him as a person for being less selfless in this, this case. Yeah. I think, I think what we're, I think what we're getting, I think you and I are both saying similar things and maybe a little bit differently, but that there are people that have had him on a pedestal that I feel like is maybe not realistic for, for most people to, to, to hit. And I don't think that it's it's really wrong for Russell to if if what he wants is he wants to you know make big money and that's his priority and he's going to do that he has every right to do that just like any of the rest of us have every right to do that does that conflict a little bit with some of the image that he tries to portray I think it does I absolutely do and I think it's fair to call him on that and say whatever for me that's the, the, the difference between how he's behaving or reportedly behaving in this negotiation and my perception of who what I expected from him is very similar. So, like, to me, there's not much of a dissonance going on here. I'm like, okay, yeah, he's doing kind of what I expected. I, I would be really surprised if Russell Wilson took a team-friendly deal and uh, limited his earnings in order to help the team be more competitive. That would be really surprising to me. Because he's uh, never said he would do that, right? Right. It, that's why it would be really surprising to me. And I think that, um, uh, you know, I I don't think that's a reasonable thing to expect um, f- from everything we've heard from Russell. I think it's a reasonable thing to ask about and a reasonable thing to, like, posit. But I don't, I don't see much evidence about why we would expect Russell to, to do something like that. At least not now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think if you looked at his charitable works and his, you know, Bible verse of the day and that kind of stuff, and you tried to draw, you know, connect some lines or some, connect some dots about what he would do for the team in this situation, I, I don't know that makes a lot of sense. Like, it, I think that if you thought he was going to take less money because he, you know, goes to Children's Hospital, um <laughs> I, I, that's the dis like that to me. I think the disconnect was on your part, not on Russell's part. Russell's never said I'm going to take less money so the team can win more. I mean, he's maybe he's you know he's spouted out all the cliches and all that, but like he's never seriously talked about. I mean, he's been really open about wanting to own a team someday and wanting to kind of be a mogul. I, I, I think he's been much more open about that than he has said anything about wanting to help the team out 
give them a hometown discount or anything like that. So I'm, I'm going to use a host rights here because I'm kind of not that interested, to be honest, in, in what this says about Russell. I think that's like the least interesting part of this story, even though I ask questions about it because I know a lot of people <laughs> are curious. Let's let's turn it let's turn it a, a a little bit to the notion of let's say that the deal doesn't get done. Which before I even do that, percentage chance eight forty seven p.m. Pacific time. Percentage chance from each of you that a deal will get done with Russell Wilson by midnight tonight. And we'll start with you, Evan. Right now, 40%. Jeff? 10. Nathan? Yeah, I mean, I'm close to zero. I'll say 10 to be generous, but yeah. I'm like 30, 35%. I'm somewhere around there. So... I think all of us, if I do my math right, or say it's less than a 50-50 chance, it's going to get done. <laughs> so the more likely scenario is that it doesn't get done. Then uh, let's start with you, Evan. Sure. Oh, go ahead, Nathan. Oh, sorry. I think I'm cutting out really bad. Uh, what is what is what is the incentive that Seattle has to do this deal by midnight tonight? Like maybe Russell just takes whatever they've offered and then it gets done. But what pressure should John Schneider be feeling right now? Oh, I mean, I think this, this, the best case to be made there is if you believe that you can take Russell and his camp at their word, that they will not ex take any extension after today, not just for this year, but they will not sign an extension with Seattle if they can't get to an agreement today. Uh, if that's the case and you believe him and take him for his word, then that's the motivation. If you believe that you want to have Russell Wilson on your team, um, that's what you'd have to do. But they have a tag. And do we really think that if in six months Seattle panics and caves and just says, yeah, that deal that you wanted and asked for, we're going to give it to you? Is Russell going to suddenly like just say, no, um, you're going to tag me for two or three years and I'm going to give up that kind of long-term security? Is like, really? Does... Is that compelling if you're John Schneider? I don't I don't see Seattle doing that though. That would be very counter counter behavioral for them. Don't you think? Doing what? The tagging or the caving uh, or like caving in last second. Like this just does not seem like yeah. for a team that's so rigid and cares so much about precedence and not guaranteeing a base salary beyond year one, you know, and new extensions. It's uh, it just doesn't seem like something they would do. But guys, you're kind of getting into this next place I want to go, which is good. But let's assume for a second the deal doesn't get done tonight. Most of us, all of us, think it's less than 50-50 shot that it's going to happen. If that's the case, then what's the right play? And let's also, let's add into the, to the equation here, the scenario. Deal does not get done tonight and you believe that Russell will not sign an extension with the team. Okay. So let's, let's, let's assume both things are true. Slight update from pro football talk. If Russell Wilson gets deal gets done tonight, one source predicts it will be huge numbers with a conventional structure, but nothing outside the box, like future compensation tied to cap percentage, whatever you want to take that as. Well, the interesting thing there is, I mean, Jake Heaps today has said that um, 
that he uh, he is not hearing that Russell Wilson's camp is trying to break new ground on on contracts stipulations um, for what that's worth. Uh, but yeah, so scenario deal does not get done, and you believe that Russell Wilson will not sign an extension. What is the right way to handle that situation for the Seahawks? I'm going to start. You guys can adjust from here. I think that the right thing, the way to handle that, if you believe he's not going to resign, I think his trade value is only going to decrease from here on out. I think that you should be looking to trade as soon as possible and get the maximum amount of value you can. And I'll stop there. Like, if those two things are true, I think the only right answer is to trade him as soon as possible. Tomorrow morning. If possible. Tomorrow morning. Sure. Extend by midnight or trade tomorrow. That that's the bottom line. If is that are you agreeing or are you you hundred percent agree? He is thirty years old. He is only getting older every single motherfucking day. He is you know he is on a current fairly affordable con. Well, not fairly affordable, but I mean it's like twelfth highest. He's like so he he has he's under contract through twenty nineteen at like twenty six twenty seven million dollars a year, whatever the heck it is. Um, I think he has a twenty. Oh wait, hold up. I'm a dumb dumb. It would be even less because the trading team that would receive Russell Wilson. Hold up, this is important. Actually, the team that received Russell Wilson in a trade would only take on a 2019 cap hit of 17 million dollars. That's fairly reasonable. Okay, so you are on team. Trade him as soon as possible if. If they can't sign him tonight and you believe he's not going to sign an extension. Team trade his ass at 6 a.m. Jeff. You know, I was initially on the um, ride it out, see what happens train because I believe like as Nathan just said, they have three years of club control essentially, right? And in three years – are Pete and John even going to be here? That's the question to me. And I would just keep writing it out and, and keep seeing what happens. But I think in our group chat the other day, Nathan brought up a really good point. And I think the point was, if you're going to start, if you're going to blow it up and not keep Russell, the time to trade him is now. Because if you trade him, you're going to want to have that high pick next year. So if you can get like a boatload of picks now, set up to get a quarterback next year, kind of tank this year, while you already have 11 picks for next year, and add those picks now, that kind of sets up an interesting rebuild. That's not a great scenario, but if you figure the 11 picks they have this year, they can go 0-16 with Paxton Lynch or something, get a quarterback next year and have like 100 picks, that's a pretty quick way to turn this thing around, kind of better than whatever they're doing now, which I'm really not sure what they're doing. Where are you at in this, Nathan? Yeah, uh, I think there's a compelling argument uh, that Seattle, sh- if they honestly believe that like this rust thing is untenable and it's not going to work, um, that they should tank. They should trade him. Um, you know, especially if like, can you get the number one pick from Arizona? I mean, 
and you can get Kyler Murray, then you're not even really tanking. Maybe you're, you can look at a pretty quick turnaround, but um, doing a little bit of a teardown and, you know, you've got a bunch of picks, picks next year that would be lower. And then um, trying to find that quarterback. Um, they're not going to do that. Like, I think there's a, there's no chance that Pete will sign off on that. Uh, and so, if I put myself in Pete's shoes and I'm only going to be coaching for a few more years and I don't want the last couple of years that I'm coaching to be a rebuild. And I don't think Pete rebuild. He wouldn't rebuild. I don't think Pete thought when he got here, he was doing a rebuild. Um, letting this play out a little bit, tagging him a year or two for a year or two, you know, taking some shots on some mid round quarterbacks um, and then, and then trading him a, a couple years down the road when you've had a little bit more time, like the backup quarterback right now is Paxton Lynch. They have no plan, right? Like the best case scenario for a quarterback in the draft is probably Will Greer. And that's pretty shaky. So uh, I would, I would probably play it out a little bit just to buy yourself the time to be properly prepared for when Russ does, when you do move on from him. So playing that back, you're, you would keep him for one to two years on the franchise tag and then look to trade him? Yeah. You could feel like Will Greer around earlier, wherever Will Greer ends up going, going right? Um, and then maybe Will Greer works out, and then you just trade him, you tag tag him and trade him next year or maybe you get another you tag him and then you get another draft and you find whoever or you know give yourself a year or two if you're pete carroll and you want to keep keep competing um i think giving yourself a little bit of a buffer time here uh is probably the right, right way to go and so, and i think while tanking is probably the the objective maybe the objectively right answer um i, I don't think that that's a bad plan necessarily so <laughs> Uh, our chat is makes me laugh sometimes. Um, uh, I will say that if all of us are coming to the conclusion that the Seahawks should trade Russell if he's not going to sign um, that deal, and the only question is about when, the next question I'd have for you guys is, do we believe that the Seahawks would actually trade him? And I'm going to go out there and say, I don't think they would. Like, <laughs> what evidence do we have that shows the Seahawks, this front office, are willing to trade away a top performing player, um, especially a position like quarterback, and get value back? I like. Earl Thomas, no, they blew that completely. Richard Sherman, no. Um, Michael Bennett, they did, but they traded him for pennies on the dollar, you know, when they were really just trying to get rid of him, clearly. Like, show me the evidence that there's a situation where the Seahawks would trade Russell Wilson. Do you guys see any, besides logic, do you see anything in the Seahawks history that leads you to believe they actually would trade him, whether it's tomorrow or two years from now? Uh, yeah, maybe two years from now, if they had a quarterback that they could, so like say they drafted Mahomes a couple years ago, say he slips to 25. 
I believe Russell would have been traded by now. But given their situation where their only option is Paxton Lynch and they only have four picks and they don't have – it's not a quarterback-rich draft, I don't see any scenario they trade him. But in two years, if that Will Greer scenario, for example, came about or they got a quarterback somewhere else, that is a scenario where I could see them trading him. But right now, I put the chances under 1%. I have a hard time buying into that. Say why? Because the the tag is so expensive in terms of, I think people forget, like when we're talking the tag, we're talking a one-year cap hit of like 33, 36, $54 million. This is not spread out stuff. If the Seahawks aren't willing to pay him 33.5, you know, with a uh, maybe more team-friendly contract structure than fully up front in one year fully guaranteed money, I have a real hard time seeing them um, let him play out the tag. I I would think they would move to trade him as soon as possible, especially if, um, you know, they got competitive offers. I just – this was – this guys, our head coach, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, said that they could roll with T-Jacks and their offense would be okay. Like, who posted that screenshot today? Was it Brian? They did, I, I forget who it was. Ben. Ben Falswick. Like, this is this is Pete Carroll we're talking about. You like, like this is Pete Carroll. There's no way they don't accept a high value trade and go draft like a couple running backs in the first round. <laughs> I, I think that 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 comment was a little concerning, but I do think in fairness to Pete, he was talking about having a complete team and wanting a, a deep, complete team more than trying to crap on the QB position. But it does give you a little insight. And, you know, I I do wonder if... Because Pete's got, I think, a lot more fuck you in him than he lets on. And I wonder if he wouldn't do it just to be like, no, it's me, and we are going to win with the... Like, he's a stubborn dude. He's a prideful dude. I don't think that this is like Pete's own like thought process about this, but I would I guarantee you there's a part of Pete that like just wants to trade rest and go with some T Jack type quarterback and build this, you know, balanced offense that he loves and to just prove everybody wrong. There is a part of Pete that wants to do that. And that might be if they feel like the situation with Russ becomes untenable. And I think that's really the question. Do we really think that Russ would never sign an extension if they don't get it done tonight? I don't believe that. But if they really believe that, then I could see that part of Pete being like, let's go for it. Let's do it. Let's get him out of here. And let's, let's run the hell out of the ball and be balanced and have a deep, complete team and prove that it's not a QB league. But then there's Sean Schneider. Yeah, go ahead. That's the thing. John loves Russell. And I saw Jim Nagy was, I know he used to work for uh, John. He was saying like, he can't see John trading him in any scenario. And that's where their relationship would be very, very interesting between John and Pete. Because I believe that John thinks Russell's probably the best player in the NFL. I mean, that's kind of the thing, you know, we've complained about the situations with Bennett and Sherm and Earl and how they've kind of let these relationships deteriorate. 
this one, it's not just about Russ and the team. Like, it seems like there's a little bit of, like, Russ is kind of a, a, a little bit of a proxy with John and Pete. And how much of that is really there? And, you know, I mean, like like we all said, we think the right thing to do is to probably trade Russ if, if the situation is that bad. And I think that Schneider would understand that no matter how much he does like Russell. Um, so maybe it doesn't really come to that. But that, that's an interesting part of this where it's not just a relationship between Russ and the team. There's some inner team dynamics here, too. Well, we've got a new tweet from uh, Albert Breer uh, weighing in, and he says, uh, there are two ways to protect against a changing landscape, uh, new CBA, new media deals, legalized gambling, um, and how that would impact your contract if you're Russell Wilson. Number one, tying compensation to percentage of the cap, and number two, a shorter term deal. If it's not going to be number one, maybe it's number two. I think we can all agree this feels like a number two. <laughs> Dad joke, god damn it. Uh, That's what you come for, folks. The poop jokes. <laughs> well, so yeah, it's interesting. He's so certain about it. Um what would be the logic of of the Seahawks signing Russell? What would it be to a three-year deal, maybe, instead of you know having him for one more year? I don't even know what the incentive is. For Seattle's side, if it's going to be three years, how are like? Is it going to be like? What's the trade-off for Seattle? Because that extra year of, um, you know, contract length is is vital for team structuring and you know cap outlook purposes. I there would have to be some offset, something for um, to incentivize Seattle. I think to to agree to that. Yeah, I, I just I wonder. I mean, the, the upside for Seattle obviously is you get some certainty about Russell for the next three years, and you can move on to to working through the rest of your the rest of your uh, your cap and roster, um, and do a little bit more planning. You can start thinking more seriously about what Frank Clark and and those other numbers need to be. So, I mean, it's not totally outlandish. I just, uh, I don't think the Seahawks want to be in the business of renegotiating quarterback deals every three years. They'd also get the ability to kind of massage the numbers a little bit and redistribute some stuff with his next, with next year kind of restructuring that year and all that. I think that, like you said uh, earlier, Evan, like these one year franchise tech cap hits are very like they're very rigid. And so um, they, they could get a little wiggle room that way. He could also get that fully guaranteed contract potentially if it's a three-year deal, maybe like a Kirk Cousins style thing. Yeah. I, it's so weird that, that we, I think we talked about this last time. I just don't get why anybody would make, if you're a quarterback, specifically if you're a quarterback, why you would make, guaranteed fully on guaranteed contract to your sticking point like you're gonna get paid Russell's bet on yourself like get a higher average per year you're gonna end up with more money like it, it just doesn't make sense to me why they why he would go for that but but uh who knows um I guess one of the other pieces we should talk about um we'll, we'll kind of come back to the Russell thing here in a second but um 
Frank Clark's another aspect that's come up recently. And we've talked about on this show before that, that there's been some rumors and, and there's some logic in trading Frank. I think if I remember right, last time we were on, um, I was at least open to entertaining it. Um, uh, I can't remember where, where Jeff and Evan fell, but I think Nathan, you were pretty dead set against it. I think your point was, why why trade like you finally find a player that's top of his his positional value um and he's young why wouldn't you trade him like, or why wouldn't you sign him i mean that's that's what your money's for i think in talking with you uh off the show your your point of view has changed a little bit on that can can you uh unless it's changed again can you kind of share your thought process on on frank clark and and what you would do with him yeah no i've i've flipped on this i i'm 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 good with trading Clark. Um, I still think that you want. I mean, he's he's a very good player. You want him on the team, but it does need to be at the right price. And when you look at what some of those some of the guys went this year, you know, the two Smiths and then um, uh, crap, the Rams. Um, what's the guy who the Rams signs this, this year uh, that they traded for Fowler? Um, he, Clark is not so much better than those guys that he should be getting paid, you know, three, four, five million dollars a year more. Um, and so if he's really demanding something 20 plus million, then I do think that they need to trade him. It's not worth it. Um, there's, there's a few reasons for that um, in terms of, you know, his pressure rates, which are, are pretty predictive of sacks. Um, sacks are pretty volatile. Um, if you want to really get a good idea of how good a, a path pressure is, you should look at the pressures. Um, and that'll give you a, a good idea about what you can expect for sacks in the coming years. Um, Clark's pressure rates are um, good, but they're in that tier of player that I just talked about. Um, they're not in, you know... Did we lose him? Yeah, we're. It's like the Toronto internet connection has skipped over to <laughs> tonight. Crazy stuff happens on this uh, Russell Wilson deadline. Yeah, what happened? We well, froze again, dude. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Right. You're going from crystal clarity to like completely frozen. So um, we caught you off that you said that he was in the good category. Yeah. All right. That's. I think that's pretty much it. Is that what I've really come to? To, to feel like is that he's not as he's not as great as I thought he was. He is very good, but he's not just he's not back up a truck of money, you know, whatever he wants good. Yeah, that that's can kind of been my view on him as well. I think I think he's a really good pass rusher. And I think the other risk there is with um with uh Frank Clark is this is a guy that has been very, very consistently about the money. And he's been about the money for other players. He's been out, even every interview I've heard, not every, but a lot of interviews I've heard with him. I've been, he's been focused on what he needs to do to get that contract. And I totally get it. And I don't fault him for it. But when you have a player like that, you do have to wonder if his motivation is so tied up with the money, how will that impact his play after he gets paid? And that could come in the form of, you know, his on-the-field performance isn't quite the same. It could come in the form of he's played through a lot of injuries the past few years. Maybe he doesn't play through those injuries as much if if uh, he's got the money sitting in his bank account. So 
I do think there's some risk there. I don't think it's enough to where I would beg off of, of Frank, but, um, you know, the challenging part here, we, we talked about this a lot in our chat, Evan um, and Jeff, but like, you're talking about paying Frank Clark probably 20 million a year, or you're talking about 20 million in cap space that you can spend other places and whatever draft compensation you can get in exchange for a trade. And I, I think we're, you know, D Ford was what a second round pick. Yeah. You know, you'd have to assume that the compensation would be similar to that. Right. See, it was interesting because I, I was like Nathan at first. I was very against the idea of trading Frank. I just thought that this team, we talked all year about how this team has no blue chip players on defense. He's really developed into like a nice player in the room and a guy that really developed like into a leader. And it's one of the worst parts about a salary cap in football is like, you got to keep getting rid of these guys every couple of years when they really start to ascend. But we've talked about this so much that with Russell's contract and Frank's contract and we, we've talked about trading Bobby. That's another option, but if you're looking at how this team, because this team's kind of in no man's land right now. They're like built to win nine or 10 games. They have all these huge contracts coming up. Kind of the way you can kind of move this thing forward. I think you, Frank is one of the few chips that you have, unless you're trading Russell. And when I saw that Mike Florio report come out on Sunday, like that there was trade chatter brewing and he might get dealt, I kind of got excited about it and, I started looking at how they can fix their draft this year. I know we haven't even talked about the draft. It wasn't for this deadline. That's probably all we'd be talking about. But if you can spend that money and use those picks, all of a sudden this team becomes a lot more interesting heading into the draft. And you become a lot more flexible in terms of paying Bobby or paying Russell. And just having these three guys and having to pay all three just doesn't seem like a sound strategy in any way. So if, you can tr if you're not trading Russell, Frank has to be the guy to trade, no? Bobby's not going to bring you back much. And God, let's, I mean, if they do trade Frank, again, botch this already, like was, was waiting until after they couldn't sign him to an extension before tagging him the right time to do that trade versus waiting until after. I, I mean, is his, is his, trade value has it declined at all um and what are the seahawks going to do if are they are, you know, are they going to end up paying him the franchise tag um salary and not get to sign him to an extension this year and then have him walk next year are they going to be in a situation where they have to use a franchise tag on russell uh next year and people are going to know that frank's He's going to be available next year one way or another uh, without having to give up any compensation. That's that's the worst-case scenario. But that's and, that's the strategic stuff that I'm like, come on. Like These guys are paid to think about this stuff. I, I think about it like barely at all. And I'm not saying I'm a genius here, but like that seems very obvious to me. If, if you think that there is an eventuality where you're going to have to trade Frank, trade Frank, Frank Clark, you know, you do it before the league understands that you're struggling to, to to deal with your contract situation. Now, if they were to sign Russell Wilson, 
then you could argue that that would be the best time that would now become the new best time to trade Frank Clark, because now the league would not be certain that they're going to be able to get Frank Clark without compensation next year. Right. That's probably what they're waiting for. They've known about this deadline since January, right? Apparently. Yeah. We didn't talk about that earlier, but, um, uh, people are saying because Bob Condota just reported this, I think, like last week or or pretty recently about this April fifteenth deadline, um, that it's somehow new, but it's supposedly been around for quite a while. Um, so, so the Seahawks have supposedly known about this since the off season started. Also, Bob might be losing his mind on Twitter right now. Are you guys following him? Yeah, he is. <laughs> this deadline's driving him nuts. He's a little, yeah. I think he's trying to get himself away. He's gotten loopy. Bob did you, did you guys see the Joel Corey tweet today? No. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Did you uh -huh. guys not see it? It was like a Bob Condotta moment where somebody would like question him. And Joel, who's like typically super stonic, out of nowhere just tweets like, I don't give a fuck what you think or something completely <laughs> like it was it was something so out of character it was like the pope tweeting like a i don't know like a pornhub link or something it was so wild uh i i do there's a kind of a funny uh mention in the chat uh from melina uh or alana who says uh, the next qb better be tall and wouldn't it be funny and like totally Pete like if they went from having the shortest quarterback to having the tallest in Paxton Lynch and and uh, you know they had to answer all the questions about why a tall quarterback couldn't succeed? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's something poetic about that for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, look. You got, we, we talked about a situation before where a scenario where Russell Wilson doesn't sign the deal and the team doesn't believe he's going to sign the extension. Let's go the other way. Let's say that they, that Russell does sign. What do you, are you guys saying in that scenario that let's go with you start with Evan. Are you team trade Frank team sign Frank? Where are you at on that? I, much like Nathan and Jeff's slow progression over time, I was initially pretty positive on trade or on signing Frank, extending him. But I think Nathan hit the hit the nail on the head. Frank Clark is a fifteen million dollar player wanting to be paid like a twenty two million dollar player. I think I think he wants that Demarcus Lawrence deal as a baseline. So minimum, we're talking twenty one million dollars a year. And I think Nathan, again, is right. If you look at those pressure rates, they're not – yeah, they're upper half of the – you know, he's good, like top 15, top 20, but he's not a Von Miller. He's not, you know, a Khalil Mack. If he was one of those players, I'd say, sure, he's a game changer. He's one of the best defensive players in the NFL. I cannot unequivocally say Frank Clark is one of the best defensive players in the NFL. And I need to be able to say that if we're going to pay him $22 million a year. Now, this may sound crazy – I'd rather pay Bobby Wagner $22 million a year than Frank Clark. And I know that's not, you know, the linebacker market, but I, I, I think even Bobby's a better value at $22 million. I, I, I just don't think, like I said, I think Frank Clark is a $15 million player wanting to be paid like a $22 million player. And I, I think it's real funny, honestly, almost comical that, 
um, the pro, you know, the whole pro football football talk tweet and all the rumors that came out Sunday night saying that Frank Clark's camp was like super frustrated that they weren't getting any traction with the Seahawks. And I think that only goes to show that they're probably worlds apart. Uh, the Seahawks are probably in the 15, 16, $17 million range and they're probably not budging. And um, that's why they're willing, maybe willing to use the tag on him. And yeah, it, it's just an interesting shit show that's kind of fallen behind the scenes, you know, under the whole Russell Wilson drama. That's that's just like the last five years of this team. It's a fascinating shit show. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, it's really a shit show, though. I mean, they missed the playoffs once. It's but, a shit show because Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, Frank Clark, potentially Bobby Wagner, and potentially Russell Wilson are all about to leave in the last two to three years. No doubt that there's been like, I mean, you guys have heard me on this show rag on them about a lot of that. I just did it a few minutes ago. I think it's a it's a little bit sensationalistic to say it's been a shit show because the, the on-field um, uh, results have not, there's a lot of teams that would kill that to have the results that they've had the past few years. But a lot of that is foundation that, that has been set here for a little while, right? You've got Pete, you've got John, you've got Russ, right? And so I, I don't know that they've been coasting on that. Like, obviously, they've done good stuff in adding Lockett and Clark and Carson and, you know, different guys. Um, but uh, I don't know that this has been, you know, an, uh, one of the best run teams the last four or five years. They're not terrible. So yeah, maybe shit show is a little unfair, but um, I mean, there there have been a lot of really kind of tasty storylines from this team the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I guess part of the reason I'm saying that is you could you could go through and look at well, take the Patriots for example. There you could there's a lot of guys that have exited. Um, name players, people that they know. There have been guys that have been injured um, at various points, whether it's Edelman or Gronk. And they've kept t- kicking, you know, ticking along and doing their thing in a much, much, much easier division than the Seahawks have, have been in. Um, so there is something to be said for the system being able to sustain when you're losing um, a lot of that talent that the Seahawks have, have lost. I think if the, the question becomes the answer becomes really different if you're talking about is this team on a trajectory to win another Super Bowl? No. <laughs> like I mean, I think that I think they I think they turned the corner a little bit from the previous season to this last season, where I think the arrow is pointing up now, where it was pretty clearly pointing down for a couple of years. Um, so that's encouraging, but yeah, I don't know. I kind of got got sidetracked on the shit show comment, but but uh, <laughs> go ahead. Well, uh, Danny Kelly always said like calls them a circus. I think that might be a better. Yeah. Yeah. So he just thrives in chaos or likes chaos. He seems to be surround himself with chaos. Jake Heaps, by the way, just to give you keep you guys up to date, he's just uh, and this is what I heard from Jake earlier today. Um, he says he wants to double down on this. He's referring to the the Pro Football Talk um, tweet about about uh, not breaking an unconventional structure. He says, "I'm not breaking new info here. I've been saying this from the beginning. Just want to." 
focus the conversation. This isn't about tying percentage to the salary cap. The sticking point is and has always been about guarantees. And he's got three fingers crossed. So I think Jake, Jake is, is particularly well situated to know what's going on. He works with Russell. He works for Russell's company. Um, and I know that they're pretty tight. So um, he, he's Russ's spokesman. He's a PR rep for Russ. Like, let's not like pretend here. He's clearly passing on information directly from Russell and his agent. I think that's that's likely. Yeah. Um, and if, oh, yeah. if, if if that's the case, um, then you know, geez, Louise. I'll I'll flip on this one. Russ a little bit on in terms. I don't believe he needs to be the, you know, break new ground on the contract. I think that that's really vanity and not really meaningful. But if the team is really going to, like, hold the line on guarantees, like, who the hell cares? The same way I said, I, if I'm Russell, I wouldn't make that the sticking point. I'd, I'd make it about how much the total contract value is because you're probably going to get it all anyway. If the team is sticking on this, come on. That's ridiculous. You're probably going to pay it at – it all to him no matter what. So if you can agree on the number and it's just about guarantees, that would be ridiculous. Well, and like you said earlier, like what is the history of this team moving on from players like this? They've <laughs> never done this. Right. So why are they worried about it? It's yeah. You said president thing. I don't get it. Like, I, like if Russell Wilson tears his ACL in year four or year three of his of his extension, and you know that money is injury protected, and he's still going to make thirty five million that year, you're kind of fucked either way. So it's like, why not just give him the thirty five million for the year? You know, you're not going to win a Super Bowl without him. You're going to win a Super Bowl with fucking Paxton Lynch back there? No, you're not. So just throw the thirty five million at him anyway. The guarantee is just he, weird to me. I think Nathan was going to say something interesting. He was going to be uh, like, Dan, we lost him. Again. And you're so right, Evan, about every take you have. <laughs> well, you know. I think that's what broke his computer. <laughs> <laughs> I get some really fantastic uh, frozen faces of you guys when it cuts out like this. It's pretty great. I'm glad okay, you're, you're going you're gonna to respond to me, Nathan? Well, yeah. I was going to say, and if he does tear his ACL in year three of a four or five year deal, are they just like, oh, we're done? Nope, can't start him anymore. Like, no, they're going to roll him out there in year four because, you know, unless he just completely bombs between now and then, then he's going to be their starter. Yeah, I, I got I mean, I've been pretty consistent on this. Uh, I'm curious if you guys are any different. I mean, I think I am uh, on the team of keep Pete around, sign Russell, and keep rolling. I, I don't I don't think that that's necessarily the best. I don't believe that's necessarily the highest percentage plan to win another Super Bowl. I'm not sure of that. Like I think that there is a case to be made that your if your goal is to win another Super Bowl, you might be better off breaking down the roster more and and rebuilding. Um, I think that the odds are lower overall of you hitting that goal, but you know, you might have, you might have a, a greater percentage chance, I guess, overall. So, but even with that in mind, I, I don't see how you try to break this up. Um, Russell and Pete and this group have been playing well. Uh, I, I give them the money. Um, you keep playing, you keep winning. 
I don't think this team can really be a losing team if they've got Russell and they've got Pete coaching the defense. I think that that they're in in, in good shape to to be a good team. So in the end, it'll probably seem like this is a lot about nothing um, when Russell does sign a deal and stays with the Seahawks and we'll go from there. I think the bigger question is how do you potentially build a championship roster around whatever Russell Wilson's going to command in terms of top dollar at the quarterback position? That's the question. I don't, I don't think we have a great answer for it yet. I think you have to get pretty fortunate in the draft that's, in order for that to be the case. That's the answer. And you're going to have to be aggressive on stuff. Sorry, I, keep, I don't know if I'm cutting out, but you have to be aggressive on stuff like the Frank Clark situation, the Bobby Wagner situation. You know, you have to get ahead of situations like Earl and Sherman and, and, you know, all these things, that, all these opportunities that have kind of, they've let slide a year and then let guys walk for little or nothing. Um, they have to get in front of that to help make sure that they have lots of opportunities in the draft so they can hit it well. And that's what happened with the Saints, right? They were kind of meddling around seven and nine for all those years with Breeze. They had that one good draft with Kamara and Ramchick and Lattimore, and there's a couple other guys in there. And all of a sudden, they went from seven and nine to Super Bowl contender. And those are the kind of drafts that Seattle badly, badly needs to hit now. Let, let's let's. I want to I want to clarify this conversation. The Seahawks have not made the Super Bowl recently because of Russell Wilson's high salaries. They have not made sure. the Super Bowl recently because they haven't been nailing drafts. Like, and, and I'm not saying you weren't saying that, Jeff. I just, I, I see this That's conversation on tw Twitter all the time of saying like, hey, if you're going to be paying Russell an extra $10, $15 million a year, you're not going to win a Super Bowl with that. Completely disagree. Mm -hmm. You can pay Russell Wilson $35 million a year what it means, though, is if you're going to win a Super Bowl with a highly paid quarterback, you just need to draft that much better. It's that much harder. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it means for to reach that Super Bowl, to reach that objective, that's what you have to do. That's what you have to be really good at. That's why you have to be super aggressive when it comes to acquiring comp picks and, and uh, trading players before, you know, they're about to leave as veterans, like the Sherman Earl, you know, situation. It's like – you have to be more aggressive about this when you're paying a highly paid quarterback. So if they're going to get back to the Super Bowl, I want to see them be more aggressive on the opposite side of trades. I don't want them trading for big star players. I want them offloading big star players a couple years, a year before. You know, they told. they got to be more aggressive and creative. And, I mean, wouldn't you say that the, the draft they had in this past year is a, is a step in the right direction? Uh, yeah, I, I think there's some picks that are really, really encouraging. Um, I think the player who doesn't get enough love, honestly, is Trey Flowers. He was he was good year one for a fifth round, sixth round, whatever the heck he was. You know, he's somebody I think that could, you know, maybe even potentially better than Shaq Griffin right now. You know, so um, and then they you know picked a stud running back in the first round. So super excited about that one. Um, Will Disley, everybody's worried about the tight end position. I'm fucking stuck, you know, psyched, stoked. <laughs> I mixed the words, but I, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I think their drafts haven't been that bad recently. They just need to do a better job. They're going to make the Super Bowl. I think it was a step in the right direction, but there's no star power and they need star power in these drafts. 
you heard the Saints one I mentioned before. They got Ramchick, they got Kamara, they got Lattimore, and they got someone else in there. When they – Seahawks, great, they got contributors. They got a, a lot of depth last year. They really needed that depth when they lost a lot of veteran players. But they need to use those high picks better. They need to stop being so cute in the draft, and they need that star power because they need to get those blue-chip players out of these cheap labors, and they they wasted that Malik McDowell year and Penny Posick, Rasheem Green. They need they need stars as much as they need depth and UDFAs and good players. That's what they need more than anything. Yeah, I think if you're talking about blue chippers, um, the blue chip players they've got in the draft since 2012, I would say are Frank Clark and Tyler Lockett. Mm-hmm. No, Michael Dixon love. Ah. Carson, maybe. Um, maybe not blue chip, but he's right there. Yeah, he he's close. I mean, I, I think for I guess for me, blue chip is is game changing. Like, uh, you know, best at his at his position in the league or close to it. Um, all pro level type player. Um, Lockett and Clark haven't even. I don't think of. I mean, Lockett's got there as a returner, but as a receiver, I don't think he's been an all-pro. Um, and although last year you could make the argument he deserved to be, um, a lot of his numbers were off the charts. But, yeah, I, I don't know that, that Carson, as much as I love him, is, is a transformative running back. Um, yeah, yeah. It's so, trash. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's – The Seahawks are at a crossroads. We started the show with this tonight. Like, either they're going to have Russell and they're going to have to build around him. And if they do that, they're going to have to nail the draft. They're going to have to be aggressive in how they manage their roster and their cap. Or they're going to be sans Russell or potentially like needing to look at offloading him. And in that kind of scenario, you're going to be talking about, I don't know. Um, I think the most likely would be that they'd probably at least keep Russell through the end of this year, knowing that they could tag him next year um, and draft a quarterback um, or even uh, sign a free agent, a veteran free agent. There's a lot of veteran free agent quarterbacks that are going to be available. Um, So I don't know. Um, have not covered yet on this topic. I mean, I guess one is, Evan, you had talked about burning your jersey, John Schneider jersey, if they don't sign. At what time are you planning to do this? I was thinking about doing it towards the end of the podcast, but now I am thinking about giving him till midnight to get it done. I don't know which which is more fair. I think you got to keep your perfect record of not doing what you say you're going to do. I'm going to give you a pass on that, too. Jersey burning. I don't know, man. No, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Let's be very don't, clear. Don't, don't be that guy, though. We don't need to burn jerseys. I think it's going to be really... It's the thing, though. It's like, it catches the carpet on fire. I have oh, the rubbing God. alcohol. I have the jersey. I have a barbecue outside. I'm ready for this. I'm prepared. But you are going to lose your mind and want to praise him the second they use their first draft pick, like halfway through the second round. You're, you're going to 
Wait, I what just, do you mean? I think you're going to regret just, burning his jersey. I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself, Evan, but sometimes you have some swings of emotion. <laughs> and while you may be at a low right now, I think it might swing back upwards for you later on. I don't think so. I, I am known as the eternal <laughs> pessimist of Seahawks Twitter. <laughs> as you know now, um, yeah, maybe. I'm debating it. I don't know if I can stay up till midnight, to be quite honest with you. I might yeah, fall asleep. That's, that's a while. Um, I, I do want to take this moment um, to uh, – there's <laughs> – there's a we've got a lot of loyal listeners, and we've got a lot of folks that uh, have strong opinions about each of us on this show. <laughs> uh, I've heard at various times, uh, folks even asking me why I'm on the show, <laughs> and they've, they've had questions about each one of us. Um, Jeff is the most soft spoken, so maybe he gets the least amount of uh, hate tweets and and hate chat moments, oh. but. <laughs> I do want to. I do want to call out. Like, it's very intentional. We've assembled this group of people that we genuinely enjoy each other's company and enjoy each other, talking to each other about this stuff. And we don't see things the same way. Like, there is a. There's a. We've talked about this on our own a lot. There's going to be no shortage of places you can go around Twitter and Seahawks Twitter, especially where people are going to stand on a soapbox, act like they know everything that. Anyone that disagrees with them is an idiot that, you know, they're king of the hill or queen of the hill. And they don't. They just don't. Like, none of us do. There's way more about this game that that none of that all of us do not know than that we do. And I just want people to understand that are listening that we are wanting to create a cross-section of people with different personalities, different points of view, different levels of expertise about different things. They're going to come here and have fun trying to have these conversations about a game that we love, but that's just a bleeping game at the end of the day. So, um, uh, you know, I'm not defending anyone in particular, including myself, but I do want folks to know that's a goal here for us. Like besides just having fun talking about the game, I, I will tell you there's things that, that, uh, Nathan says that drive me crazy. There are things that Evan says that drive me crazy. Uh, not as many things that Jeff says, but there are some. All right, I'll start. That's yeah, yeah. Right. It's too Canadian. I mean, what, what do you want? But um, and I'm sure an idiot. <laughs> hey, go fuck yourself, Jeff. Hey, You're talking about burning his jersey. You can't defend him. This is why you can't burn the jersey. This is your you reflexively. Told him to go fuck himself when I he said something. I have a deep love for him. I bad thing love about for him, Nathan. But <laughs> right now he's hurting me. Right now, mm-hmm. I just walked in. Alex, I hope you're not listening. But John Schneider is like my second wife. It's like I just walked in on him and he's banging somebody else. That's what's that's what's going on right now, and I'm hurting. But you gotta Don't give me it. a little bit of time. You give me a couple hours, it. I might get over it. <laughs> Um, Evan, if his, if tomorrow had had taught you any lesson, it should be that you can have someone that is uh, cheating on his wife multiple times mm. and give him enough time, and he will be a hero for people across the internet. I have some Tiger Woods takes too, Brian, but we'll save that for another time. Uh, I, I will. Uh, I'm going to take uh, one second here. I have to admit, I was surprised by the reaction to the Masters yesterday. Like. I don't follow it that closely, but I do follow it closely enough to where I was like, I'm all the way 
someone who I am a huge fan of and is super smart and a friend of the show. And she was tweeting out positive messages about Tiger winning yesterday. And I'm like, whoa, usually you're pretty judicious about when you're praising someone who's been kind of a misogynist. And uh, there's a lot of love for Tiger coming out from all corners. And that was a little surprising. The person that I heard today that didn't feel that way was Hugh Millen, of all people. It's weird. I heard him on the radio coming out and calling Tiger out saying, I mean, he's like, he's not a guy I cheer for anymore. So I don't know. I thought that was weird. Did I miss something about where he redeemed himself? Yeah, I got to hold my tongue here. I think (laughs) it's the thing that's pretty compelling to me, at least. I I have conflicted about Tiger too, but um, the way uh, like Augusta and, and, and how golf treated him after all that, and he deserves criticism for it for sure. But uh, for him to come back and win there, there's some better sweetness there. Also him uh, aside from uh, all the infidelity and whatnot, um, his road back from injuries has been uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, it was just that it'd be an easy story to tell. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, I digress. Um, I, I actually kind of want to provoke Evan to talk about Tiger Woods and see what comes of it. Um, <laughs> Tell me that you're the uh, burning ceremony. Yeah, can you give us a hint of like why you need to keep your mouth shut about Tiger Woods? I, I just nah, chop my tongue off. Nope. Change the topic. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get out of the bar. Yeah. So, look, guys. Um, uh, it does not look like we're going to get uh, information one way or another about what's happening here um, before the show breaks, unless we're planning to stay up for another couple hours. And I, I at least on this, and I don't think I don't think I can manage that. Um, but there is one other piece here that folks are asking that we at least um, talk about a little bit, and that is the the Doug Baldwin news. Um, mm. I haven't seen anything new other than knowing about the some of the injury stuff. Is there something new that's broken in the last week or so you guys know about? Nope. Nope. So the last, the last news I heard is that he's due for more surgery, but that was that was a week or two ago at least. Yeah. Um that's my that's my read as well. And, and last we talked about this, it was I think we all were you know, entertaining the notion that he may not be back, like that that's a possibility. And um, if that's the case, that we went through the Seahawks receivers on the roster and it is thin. It is really thin. So that's the, that's the like scary side. On the other side, you could argue the Seahawks played pretty much the whole season without Doug Baldwin last year. Up until the last quarter of the season where he started producing, he was like, a shadow of him, his former self in terms of production. So they did reasonably well without him. They did a lot better with him, but they did reasonably well without him. So that would be the upshot. Um, and you'd hope for some growth from guys like David Moore, where he's a guy we talked about. Um, I think there's, I think there's a sleeper on the roster at receiver. His name's Caleb Scott. Um, you know, he's not a guy that I would bet, the farm on, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about him come the preseason um, in a few months. So 
we'll see. I think this is a strong receiver draft. And uh, Jeff, you and, and Nathan both called out some players. Any new players on the draft side that have caught your attention that, that you want to uh, talk to Seahawks fans about? Um, the one that I've really honed in on is Emmanuel Hall, and I, he's the one I wrote about a little bit. Um, Hakeem Butler is one um, that comes up a lot. I like him a lot. Um, uh, JJ, Ar- Ar- is it Archega, Arcega, Whiteside? Oh, the Stanford guy? Yeah, JJ. Uh, he's a guy that I've, I've really kind of taken a shine to, um, crap, I'm forgetting his name. Um, one of the guys, uh, on Twitter, um, uh, who does a great job with all the, the draft stuff, um, did a good breakdown of him and, um, James Thomas, um, has got a couple of really good threads on him. If you want to go check him out, um, making the case for him as a first round guy and it's pretty impressive stuff. So, um, I guess he's, he's kind of the new one for me that I've really kind of taken a shine to. Uh, it seems like the Seahawks are have been sniffing a lot around a lot around receivers. So it's been interesting. They've been looking at a lot of like early round big receivers. They had like NKL here, NKL Harry. I don't know how to say his first name. They had him in. A lot of people have tied them to that uh, Terry McLaurin from Ohio State. He's kind of a big play guy that would work well in play action, special teams guy. I love Akeem Butler and Emmanuel Hall, the guys Nathan mentioned. And Debo Samuel from uh, South Carolina is a guy that's kind of grown on me. He's a separation receiver, and Russell's done really well with separation kind of receivers. He's the kind of guy that just, like, dominated the senior bowl, and he's kind of in that second-round range. So it seems like the Seahawks are looking for, like, a receiver early, and they're looking a lot at slot receivers in, like, the end of the draft. So maybe they're going to go pretty hard on drafted guys because they only have those four picks and they got a lot of room on their roster. So that's an area where they can really – that's how they found Doug in the first place, right? So that's an area I think they'll go as well as I think they're going to get a big receiver early. Yeah, I know where you guys are at uh, in terms of priorities um, for the draft going in, but if the Seahawks can come out with uh, a safety, a defensive lineman, preferably an edge, um, although anyway, a defensive lineman, I'll stick with that. And uh, a receiver. Those are my top three priorities from a position perspective for the team. Where are you guys at from a position priority? Pass rush is a real issue. Yep. Especially if Frank Clark is gone. Yep. Um, I'm not satisfied with corner either. I feel like it's a little bit glossed over due to Trey Flowers and and Shaq, two kind of names, kind of names in the Seahawks world. I'd be happier if I, – I, I would not mind, like, a cornerback in the top two rounds. I, I think, um, you know, I haven't studied the cornerbacks enough to, you know, know their names super well, but I think that's an area of need. Um, I, yeah, and wide receiver, obviously, which we talked about is super important. It's kind of interesting to note, though, that the beat reporter tones have kind of shifted um, – over the past week, week and a half, where it was kind of like Doug Baldwin's going to have surgery and we'll see how it's impacting him to now it's using verbiage of like to see what Doug Baldwin decides, you know, implying like a retirement. So um, it's something to watch for sure. 
I think safety, defensive line, wide receiver are the big ones for me. Um, corner is one that is important. Um, they like to go that way a little later, um, which works well for them. Um, it's a good draft for sea hockey type corners, so that, that's nice. Um, the sequencing of safety, wide receiver, and defensive line will be really interesting. I think it's going to be tough for them to get to get an impact safety and an impact defensive lineman. I mean, obviously, just they're so limited in picks. Um, and so what they decide to do there with trading down and all that, um, I think it's going to be a little easier for them to grab a wide receiver, maybe a little bit, you know, in the mid rounds a little bit later. Um, so kind of seeing whether they want to make a splash wide receiver where there are some definite guys at the top that are kind of, kind of splash worthy. Um, or if they want to go after, uh, you know, safety or defensive line and then try to find, um, try to it's a, it's a deep wide receiver class to so try to pick one of those deeper um, wide receivers Jeff any difference there for you no those are the big positions for me I think we talked about free safety play all year this is a pretty good draft for the Seahawks type of free safety there's a couple guys that Seahawks have met with already there's there's middle round guys and everything kind of sets up for the Seahawks moving down a couple times and being able to hit those three spots. D line that John mentioned is the strength of the draft safety, free safety. Tedrick just wasn't good enough last year and receiver. They need at least two of them in this draft, whether that comes in the draft or UDFAs, maybe tight end. If you can get one, if Disley's being managed back and who knows how long Ed Dixon's going to be around. Manette's in the last year of his deal. I wouldn't mind somewhere there. But I guess backup quarterback if Russell Wilson's getting traded next year. But other than that, no, we cover the main ones. Yeah, that's the other interesting thing with how how does this how this rust thing shakes out if you are trying to take a Will Greer in like the second round or a little bit higher, wherever he might be able to wherever you might be able to get him, then you know that complicates things because it is a deep safety draft but the guys who are true free safeties which is what you'd want if you're looking to replace tedrick there's not as many of those like um people seem really enamored with um with rap and he's not a free safety and he didn't test well enough where you can squint at him and, and say well maybe he can figure it out did i cut out again no, no, no. I was just saying, oh. I interrupted totally rudely, but he was just saying he he tested really slowly. I mean, his yeah. fourth time was like four, seven. Yeah, it was terrible. It was real bad. That's so, <laughs> yeah. Now, there's other guys like Amani Hooker, who's another guy that I wrote about. Um, uh, and he, now he tested well. So even though he's more of a strong safety type, you can kind of look at him and say, well, maybe you can do something with him. And he's a guy that you can get a little later. So it kind of depends on what they want to do in terms of projects. I thought it was interesting. And Schneider in one of his recent conference, press conferences or maybe the radio interview was talking about how um, he's really relied on the guys around him to talk him out of guys where he's he's looked at guys and it's like, well, maybe we can do this with him or get him to do this or teach him that. And, and then, you know, some of the, the guys in the front office around him are kind of like, yeah, but do you really want to try to do that? Like, do you want to spend the time and effort? Um, and he's like, no, you know, maybe not. And it was a really, I thought it was kind of candid and it was really interesting. So that's kind of shaded my, my idea of what they might do in this draft is that they might, they might not look for as many, um, they'll probably still look for projects and all that. Cause they're really big on teaching and all that, but they might not look 
Um, like Ben Banagu is a guy, or Ben Banagu, I can never remember how to say his name. Um, he's a guy that requires some projecting, and I don't know if they actually really want to try to do that this year. Well, uh, lots going on there. We, we got the news um, that doesn't really qualify as news last week that the Seahawks are one of the teams really trying to move down in the draft. Um, that shocked absolutely nobody. Um, and that's most likely what's going what's gonna to happen there. We have not yet gotten the news about any deal with Russell, so we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be ending the show before that breaks, it looks like. With our luck, it will probably break five minutes after we're done with the show. That's happened before. Um, and I, I do also want to give a plug before we wrap up here. Um, this Thursday night is the uh, Seahawks auction, uh, the dinner with uh, the Benefits Benz Fund. It's when we make our annual donation from the blog. And uh, all of you that are patrons have been a big part of that um, uh, over at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash hawkblogger. Uh, we've raised over $100,000 um, and don donated over $100,000 um, from the site. And we're going to you know, increase that again this year. Um, so if you can join, one of the cool things is if you're a $5 member or more, then I will work to try to get you a phone call or a tweet or something from one of your favorite players. So uh, it's Frank Clark. It'll be interesting to see if he's there. A lot of times this uh, auction is where you find out, A, which players are at odds with the front office. Um, <laughs> so we'll see if Frank Clark there. We'll see if Russell Wilson's there. Um, and B, um, you usually get a pretty good read on some of the players that John Schneider believes in that nobody else knows about there. Um, so that's one of the places where I met um, JD McKissick, had a long conversation with him. It's a place where I, uh, you know, met, um, uh, Bradley McDougald and and we we talked to a bunch about what's going on there. Talked to a bunch of the offensive linemen. There's a lot of guys there, so I'm happy to pass that back along to some of the folks that are Hawk Blogger patrons. Sign up; it's not too late, and uh, I'll be able to try to get you a call. Um, otherwise, please follow us. Please subscribe if you haven't already to the show. Um, this is helpful um, for the show. It's great to just tell somebody if you don't want to subscribe. Let someone know about the show, youtube.com slash hawkblogger, um, or on any of the podcast channels. So you can find us on Stitcher, on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Play, or Google Play, iTunes, all that kind of stuff. So um, give us a follow there, subscribe, and we'll keep this show going. So we will be back for sure um, when there's more news to talk about. Um, I think that next show likely to be uh the week after next um but we will see um uh, seahawks news may force a different schedule with that uh thank you to evan at evan on hb on twitter um jeff simmons at real jeff simmons and uh nathan ernst at nathan e11 uh thanks guys for joining us again and uh go hawks